You're listening to the Is This Odd Dr. Todd program from Los Angeles Magazine Studios, the show where you can get all your medical questions answered without an office visit. Please welcome comedy writer Dimitri Pappas and family medicine physician Dr. Todd Spector. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Is This Odd, Dr. Todd? I am, of course, Dimitri. I don't know why I say of course, but probably if you've listened before, then you know there's only two of us here and I'm clearly not Dr. (laughs) Todd. But this guy is. Hi, Dr. Todd. Hey, Dimitri. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Doing well. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, just saving lives and... Saving lives. Saving and, lives. And what do you do? What do you, what do you do besides that? What's your What's your main hobby? Well, that's a good question. I was talking to my wife about it today. You know, I do a lot of yoga. I really like that. I do a lot of walking. I like to play music. Oh, oh there you go. Um, okay, everything is. Nobody wants to hear a doctor be like, "Well, in my spare time, I do healthy stuff." It's like, okay, tell me, <laughs> tell me about the time you had too many drinks and were smashing cupcakes or something. But all right, your guitar—that's cool. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. Dr. Todd, I want to tell you a story. Dimitri, what do you do? What are your hobbies? Uh, sarcasm. Sarcasm is my <laughs> is my hobby. <laughs> I, I like sarcasm too. You should ask my yeah, kid. It's, it, it keeps my me going. Friends always like, "Are you being sarcastic or are you being serious?" I no joke. I have been training my kids, especially during the pandemic. You know, when we were home a lot, we had. I've, I've been training them to uh, identify sarcasm and to uh, also use it. Uh, I think it's very helpful, but it, definitely you want to be able to to, um, to identify it. it. Makes you less gullible. I, yeah, I can't wait to hear what our kids make of their upbringing in like twenty years when they start to tell their kids about stuff. Yeah. Um, speaking of, of, of my kids, I want to tell you a story and I want to give a yeah. shout out to, sorry, I hope this isn't uncomfortable for you. I want to give a shout out to another doctor. Mm. Long story short, <clears throat> this past week, um, uh, my daughter was, uh, she's in high school. She was playing, um, soccer and soccer game mm. about a minute ago in the game. She kind of just gently collided with someone at midfield did, you know, it didn't look anything bad, but she did fall. She did go down and she was laying on the ground for a minute. So I thought she was. Catching her breath. And then when she they helped her up, she headed to the bench, which she normally doesn't do. She's a pretty tough kid. Um, and so I knew, I figured she was probably bleeding or something. You know, they bumped heads right. or whatever. Long story short, um, we got called over there after the game. And they said she had a little gash. They had wrapped it up. They said, you're probably, probably going to need a stitch or two. Mm-hmm. You might want to go to like um, urgent care or mm-hmm. to the hospital. So we took her to urgent care. And that's the moment when they unwrapped the thing. And um, my wife and I were shocked to see the the size of this gash, um, super deep. So mm-hmm. then they then you know we ended up going to the hospital after that, um, see because we figured they need a little more attention. That was their suggestion. Um, and then we got in touch. We kind of reached out because then we realized it was bigger than we thought. And, and I'm glad we did this. We reached out to this um, plastic surgeon actually in Santa Monica. We ended up driving to Santa Monica that night. So we went urgent care hospital to a plastic surgeon in Santa Monica. And this is, um, I think the name of the plastic surgery place in Santa Monica is called Care with a K, K K-A-R-E. This doctor, we talked to him on the phone. We sent him a picture when we were at the hospital. He said, no, no. He goes, I want you to, we'll we'll take care of this. He goes, don't don't do it in the emergency room. They can, but don't. We went down there. 80 stitches, Dr. Todd. 80? Zero. 80 stitches. Wow. Yeah. He was walking us through it, and and my 
thank goodness my daughter, like I said, she's tough. She was a trooper. He's walking us through this and he's like, see this right here. And this is the part that lifts us up. He's like, right there, that's the skull. It was that deep a gash right up, right in like her eyebrow area. 80 stitches. So uh, I want to give a shout out to uh, just real, you know, just a real quick story I want to tell. I want to give a shout out. They were so good. Came in yeah. almost the middle of the night at that point, right? Wow. Uh, and they and they took care of this. Made us feel good. Made her feel good. It looks phenomenal. Uh, but 80 stitches. Um, so I want to give a shout out to Care. I believe it's uh, Care uh, Cosmetic Surgery in Santa Monica. It's on 7th yeah. in Montana. So. Yeah. Uh, the doctor Excellent. that helped us was Rafi, and he owns it, Rafi, and fantastic. So shout out to them. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a that sounds like a pretty significant head wound. Most of the time, they don't require. I mean, I'm surprised that on the sideline, they're like, yeah, it's just a little scratch and required. I know. And it wasn't stitches. gushing blood. It, it was. I don't know. It was interesting, but it was it was deep. So it was like yeah. inner layers, and then the and so like maybe. I guess stitches yeah. inside to, to keep that part with the eyelid and stuff like that. And then the outside. So it was about 80 total. Um, phenomenal job and uh, phenomenal right. job. Shout out to me for, uh, for, you know, sticking through it and then <laughs> you know, making a joke out of it, but it's tough to see your kid, you know, laid up right. like that. And, and, you know, I think much like she did when she was uh, a baby, she, she was our firstborn. She made it easy for me to become a dad and she, she kind of made it easy for me to, to, to be there and not completely lose my mind that day. So shout out well, to her too. <laughs> I'm glad she's okay. That's a good story. Yeah. Me too. Um, okay. Well, listen, let's get, let's get into the questions. I got a surprise for you today, Dr. Todd. One of our okay. questions today is an audio question. I'll tell you this. It is anonymous, but we okay. have an audio question. Someone sent in some audio of them asking a question. So uh, that's okay. exciting. I think yeah. it's our very first audio question. But uh, it's not our first question. First question is this. Dear Dr. Todd, I'm a 50-year-old woman, and it seems mm. like me and a lot of my friends have problems with constipation. Is that normal, or is it something we're doing? What's the best remedy? remedy? Thanks, Chrissy. Yeah. Well, that, that's a good question, Chrissy. Um, and I think people, constipation is super common. It's very, very common in women who have had children, and it's very common in postmenopausal women. It, it, it's common in men, too. Mm -hmm. But for the sake of this conversation with Chrissy, she's right. Her friends are talking about it. It's common in her age group. It's not just a fluke. Um, the, the, the one thing I tell people is that constipation begets constipation, meaning the more constipated you are, the more constipated you'll get. And so we oh, try oh, to stay. <laughs> Do you tighten up? Is that what it is? No, it's more that like okay. if you, let's say, for instance, you had a screwdriver, you know, and there's a particular grip that the screwdriver would feel the best at. You know what I mean? If you were trying to screw something in like this, it wouldn't really work as if you could get a good grip on it like this. Your colon sort of the same way. The more distended it is with poop, et cetera, the harder it is for it to work correctly. So you want to sort of have it at the ideal um, circumference and fullness, so to speak. So the first thing, <laughs> the first thing that I do tell people is that yes, constipation is very common. Um, it's common in postmenopausal women that the lots of people will do things like Metamucil and psyllium, which are great. Um, the key with those things is just to be taking adequate hydration. You really want to take a lot of 
water along with those things. And it can also be water in the form of food like applesauce and fruits and vegetables, et cetera. And then for constipation that is painful or for people who are going like once every three to five days or even longer, there are other things we might want to look at like thyroid, for instance, especially in that age group of people. But I would say that they're not doing something wrong. They just might not be doing all the right stuff. Okay. Well, let me first say, I'm glad that that was cleared up when you were talking about constipation and then you went into um, a screwdriver thing. I was not sure where that <laughs> was going. I want to make sure that people heard that correctly. The screwdriver was just a metaphor. You do not use a screwdriver to help get rid of constipation. Right. Probably that's right. <laughs> Please don't do that. But but really what we want to do is try and make sure there's adequate fiber in the diet, adequate hydration, and that the bowel movements are somewhat regular. And there are other things over the counter like Miralax or magnesium citrate, um, Ducalax, those type of things which people can use as well. But I, I typically recommend they have a conversation with their doctor first about how to use them correctly. But the yeah. first thing I try and get people to do is I like psyllium a lot and I, I, you don't want to start off drinking a whole bottle of psyllium because you're going to get constipated. I have people take, you know, a tablespoon or in the morning and a tablespoon at night and drink plenty of water and see how that helps and maybe increase it or decrease it from there. Um, but, uh, but the idea is, is constipation really is unpleasant for people. And typically there's quite a bit we can do about it, but it, most of it's dietary. Yeah. Well, the, the what I know about constipation well, beyond the normal stuff I learned from sitcoms. I remember yeah. in um, Two and a Half Men, the little kid was in such a bad mood. They thought it was depressed. And it turns out he was constipated. Once he everything worked out, he was in a much better mood. But the other right. thing I want to ask you was in Seinfeld, right? Kramer was constipated and he had something like a hose and a thing like an apparatus he bought at the pharmacy. What's that? And the taking drinking the Dolcolax or whatever sounds like a better plan. But what is that? And is that useful? So he might have been talking about an enema. Um, mm. So essentially, they'll, you know, with enemas, like there's a brand called Fleets, which is the common one. And you've just put a piece of tubing into your bottom. And then it has um, uh, a... Um, a container that you fill with water that you can actually compress and it'll shoot water up your bottom. You don't want to do this too often, but then it'll, if your stool is really dehydrated, it'll help to kind of break up the poop that's in there and it will come out a little bit easier. So sometimes we'll use fleets. Hmm? You said you don't want to do this too often. I don't want to do that at all. That sounds horrible. <laughs> right. We don't want people doing too much, um, putting of water into their bottoms if, if we can avoid it. And I also, people are, the next question is always like, well, what about colonics? Should I be doing colonics? I typically do not advise people to have colonics, which is when they'll, you know, put more volume of water into the intestine. And although it's unusual, we have seen complications of those, including bowel perforations and injuries that can actually land people in the hospital. And uh, they're very unpleasant when they happen. Okay. All right. Well, Sounds good. I mean, <laughs> sorry, you know. but there is hope. No. I mean, I think for Chrissy, she, she really needs to talk to her doctor, talk to her dietitian, And really the focus here needs to be on dietary habits, making sure she's not eating the wrong foods and enough of the right foods. Right. Well, and the thing is, she said, my friends and I, so you gave reasons as to why it might be more common with people that age and, and potentially right. whatever other common things they have. And it's not like a period cycle where sometimes, you know, women say, oh, you know, my friends and I now are, we're on the same cycle or whatever. So they have their period at the same time. This is not like that. So 
we don't have to worry about who we're hanging out with. Like we're hanging out with friends that have that are constipated that we're also going to become constipated. That's not yeah, the case. It's not like so a gateway drug. Yeah. No. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's that's good good advice. Let's go on to the next question. And this is our uh, audio daily double, our first audio question. Uh, if the producers are going to roll that, let's go ahead. Hi, Dr. Todd. I have an embarrassing tendency where I fart when I'm orgasming. It started when I was in college and I remember having sex with my boyfriend and I was wearing sexy red lingerie and it was Valentine's Day. And in the middle of everything, I just farted and he started laughing at me and it was terrible. And it's been an issue ever since. So I don't know if you know what causes it, but really I don't care what causes it. I'd just like to know if there's some way to stop it. Okay. So we're, we're sticking with the bottom theme. Um, (laughs) Dr. Todd, what do you got? Well, I think what's happening here, um, (laughs) the poor woman, I mean, I hope, I mean, look, gas, although it's embarrassing and, and people think it's funny, it's really not, um, a medical problem unless it's painful. So this is, this is an inconvenience. Now it's a funny thing that's happening and human beings love joking around about farts, but it's not quite a medical problem. Um, mm. and so I would say my first thing is if she's with a partner and this is something that's been going on her whole life, I would much rather her be able to have orgasms and pass gas simultaneously than be so affected by passing gas that she can't have orgasms or enjoy sex. So that's, first. The second, I think, yeah, physiologically. So I think that, you know, in the pre-orgasmic phase, there's a lot of sort of, you know, tensing up of muscles and even what we call volsalva, which is where you're kind of um, like, as if you were bearing down to go to the bathroom with this kind of clenched muscle, like you're pushing down on your diaphragm. And that is probably what's happening. She's creating a little bit of intra-abdominal pressure that's, and then of course, you know, the muscles in your pelvis contract and relax and contract and relax. And that's actually what's happening in an orgasm. And Mm -hmm. so probably the sphincter muscle in her anus is relaxing and she's passing gas. That that's what I suspect is happening physiologically, just sort of increased pressure. Like you're pushing down to go to the bathroom. And then the sort of rhythmic contractions of the pelvic muscles, which are part of an orgasm are leading her. Now I suspect that there maybe are certain positions where it's better and certain positions where it's worse. But, um, my advice would be, you know, if you, you know, maybe she wants to try and use the restroom before they have sex, if, if that's a possibility, you know, but I, I think this is going to be a hard thing to solve if it's in every position it's been happening every time. I think it's just probably part of her body. And, um, I, I hope that her, she and her partner can have a little bit of a laugh about it without making her feel too bad about this. Yeah, I mean, give it a little nickname like ass and gas. Yeah. Um, listen, <laughs> what would a nickname the, 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 that you would give this? That's I give it the ass and gas. You're going to go on. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but we're not doing that though. But what, but, but what I want to say is when you just for, for her peace of mind, like it, it, it's probably the best case scenario. Not maybe not also because it's, it's not like a quick fix, but you said it's normal, right? This is something that happens and it probably happens to more people. Then, then you no. know of because it took someone courageous enough to, you know, to ask about it, to bring it up, and maybe this will in turn help other people know that that it happens. Obviously, it's it's got to be an an embarrassing situation. It's got to be uncomfortable, yeah. and especially I don't know what what they do, but the, you know, there's obviously different things that you can do that you do 
that people do in the bedroom. And I think it's it's got to be, you know, embarrassing. She said it happened. Then I don't know her situation now. If she's married, yeah. maybe it's not that big a deal. If she's still dating, I can understand that that, that yeah. would be super nerve wracking. Right. I know. I know. And I, that's why I saying like maybe if she uses the restroom beforehand or maybe at certain positions, but I think really it's just sort of the natural physiologic pressing down of the abdomen and the contraction relaxation of the pelvic muscles. Those two things combined are probably what's contributing to this. And, um, you know, I think it sounds like everything else is working. Okay. I don't think this is a problem. Yeah. Listen, like you said, you're, you're, they're able to orgasm. And, you know, and if this is any kind of solace, I think uh, passing gas while orgasming, while embarrassing, is not the most embarrassing thing about this. I think you turning it into a medical situation and calling it a sphincter muscle in the anus, I think, was way more embarrassing and uncomfortable for me than that actual uh, issue. <laughs> okay. Yes. Okay. Well, um, Hopefully this has helped and, uh, you know, I, I, I'm yeah. not terribly concerned about this. I, although I sympathize that it could be uncomfortable. Good. I think that's best case scenario. And, um, yeah. yeah. And I'm glad to hear that that doesn't sound like that happens to you because as we've mentioned, you're like six, five, two fifty. And <laughs> I don't think anybody wants to be a part of that. Okay. Let's go on to the next question. <laughs> Dear Dr. Todd, a lot of people recommend Epsom salt baths for different types of healing. But no one can ever answer what, why, or how. I'm hoping you can. Thanks, Logan. Hmm. Epsom salt. So Epsom salts are magnesium sulfate. Um, and magnesium is a really well-known muscle relaxant. Um, we, you know, in medicine, we use it all the time. We actually use it for constipation. It works well for that. We use it for people who are having difficulty falling asleep. Sometimes they'll take magnesium at night. For people who have a lot of muscle spasm at night, um, sometimes they'll take a magnesium supplement, like people who get spasms in their foot or in their calf, et cetera. And I think that the magnesium sulfate, which is an Epsom salt, is just very soothing to our muscles. Like how it works topically, like sitting in a bath of Epsom salt, I don't know exactly how that works but i know that magnesium sulfate is what's in there and and it's a well-known muscle relaxant so there's something about immersing our bodies in that magnesium sulfate that i i don't think that it gets into our muscles through the skin but mm -hmm. there's something about it that our bodies like so so it, it is true then because i have heard that too and I've, i never know why i've actually mentioned that to the kids sometime like they hurt their ankle playing a sport or something i'll be like oh maybe just soak it in some episodes so i don't know yeah. i know it's not bad but um it, so so it is kind of like maybe a a, a bit of a catch-all where it can it can heal different things yeah well yeah. i mean like i said we use better. it for constipation we use it for sleep we use it for muscle spasm and epsom salts people have been using forever and um they really like it. And, you know, but our skin is pretty amazing. You know, it's, you know, you can sweat through it. It protects our bodies. It regrows. It's a, you know, rain protective, although we don't like being soaking wet. It doesn't allow our insides to get wet. It can regulate heat. And I'm just not sure how it doesn't typically, you know, you could put lotion and oils on your skin, et cetera, that make the skin feel a little bit better, but it doesn't really absorb it into the muscles below. So something about the Epsom salt, I don't to totally understand, but people really like it and it works. And I think it's harmless. I wouldn't eat Epsom salt, but I would soak in it. Right. No, it's a good idea. Um, <laughs> now, when you said regrow, what does that mean? What do you mean like 
just well, if you get a cut like your daughter you know the skin oh. will heal oh yeah so not like hair i mean for a friend <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> for a friend go bobbing for apples and some epsom salt okay uh all right good let's let's move on to the next question Dear Dr. Todd, what is the difference between cold sores and STDs like herpes? Thanks so much, A. Mm -hmm. That's a a good question because, um, you know, I feel when someone sees something like on your lip or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they ought to, there's a bit of a, whoa, panic or whatever. So actually, what is the difference there? Yeah. Okay. So... Typically, when we talk about STIs, sexually transmitted infections, there are things like syphilis, gonorrhea, herpes simplex 2, um, HIV, you know, the trichomonas, those, those are the typical ones that we, we talk about. And actually, so if someone has a, a cold sore on their lip, typically that's herpes simplex 1. That you you can get herpes simplex one, which is a herpes virus. You can get those sores in different places on your body, whether they be on your lip or your fingers. You know, kids can get them on their hands. Um, herpes simplex two is more typical of genital lesions and oral lesions. So lots of um, people have herpes simplex one. They they get it in childhood when they're in preschool and everybody's, you know, touching their face and touching each other. And that's how the virus transmits. It's totally harmless. Um, people don't like herpes. They don't like cold sores, but there's nothing dangerous about them. So in a sense that if you had a cold sore on your lip and you kiss somebody on their body and, and you had actively shedding virus, you could transmit it to that person who if they didn't already have antibodies to herpes. It's interesting how you jump straight to kiss them on their body, not like some people just step on their lips. <laughs> right, or on their face or on their lips. Dr. Yeah, Todd, can, just rounding second. Okay. So in that sense, it could be a sexually transmitted infection. But most of the time, it's just transmitted in the community through just – you know, kids playing with each other and, you know, touching each other's face and sharing food. And, you know, that that's just like where, you know, kids get cold sores all the time and people don't like them, but they're not dangerous. And we do have medications we can use for them, but it's very hard. I tell people like, look, I mean, it, it's very hard to prevent the transmission of herpes. It's been around for the beginning of time for human beings and um, we're unlikely to stop it, but it's not a dangerous problem. There are only a couple of times when it can be dangerous. Most dangerous is during delivery. If a woman has an active genital herpes outbreak on her vagina during delivery, the doctor will elect for a C-section. And then in certain severe immunocompromised situations like fulminant AIDS, people could get, you know, really pronounced herpes outbreaks. But other than that, most um, immunocompetent people like you and me, meaning our immunos- immune systems are functioning well. If you get a cold sore, it happens. It'll look terrible for a few days and go away. That sounded like a compliment to me, so thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, so because pe- people see them and, and no one likes to have them because it's and, you know and it's got that stigma to it, right? So yeah. they're they're uncomfortable. What is the best way w- would you say to to start heal? Like if you have one forming, to either get rid of it or to start healing it yeah. or to get it to pass as quickly as possible. 
So there's a medication called valcyclovir, which is a prescription medication that will give people, if they have a lesion on their lip, we'll usually give them two doses in a 24-hour. That might help speed it along. There's um, over-the-counter preparations like Abreva, um, which can help a little bit. There's a and Sometimes people will take the supplement lysine, um, which may help abbreviate the um, time that you have the cold sore for. But typically... You know, if for people who, you know, get them routinely, I'll usually give my patients a prescription to have on hand and they know they're getting it and they'll start it as soon as they get it. And usually it'll shorten it to a day or two. Mm. Okay. And I I do Uh, tell people that the first outbreak is usually much more severe than the subsequent. Oh, okay. I want to tell you a quick story there because you mentioned uh, at one point in that uh, thing, you mentioned uh, gonorrhea. Uh, I got a funny story about gonorrhea. (laughs) <laughs> so when I was in seventh grade, and this is not this is not what you think it was. When I was in seventh grade, we were learning about STDs and stuff like that in health class. Yeah. With gonorrhea was one of them. But I had also just recently gotten a Nintendo game that mm-hmm. started with a G. I think it was called Gradius or something. And the writing on the box was really funky. So and I could never tell what the name of the game was, so I never knew. So uh, my mom picked me up one day, and she had her friend in the car, and the friend said, "Oh, you know, Dimitri, did you get anything? Um, what'd you get for Christmas?" And I mixed up the two G words and I responded, gonorrhea. So um, my, mom was like, <laughs> my mom was like, what is Dimitri? Like, that's, you know, because she thought I was doing a bit, which, frankly, it's a killer bit. Now that you think about it, yeah, that was a little awkward for a minute. Well, what did you get for Christmas? And I said, gonorrhea. So gets yeah, a good laugh. But um, right. just so we're clear, it was a mix up. That's not what I got for yeah. Christmas. Yeah. All right. We have time for one more question. Please. <laughs> Dr. Todd, what is the worst slash most uncomfortable situation you've ever been in as a doctor? Thanks for what you do, Jeff. Oh, this is fun. So this isn't necessarily medical. This is, again, something you wouldn't probably feel comfortable asking your doctor on your office visit or wasting the time of it. But this is what Dr. Todd does. This is, he's here to answer what we want to know. Well, there's <laughs> these are two questions. The worst... And then uncomfortable. So Ooh, they're not um, the same. Oh God. All right, here we go. No. I'm gonna I think that for the sake of our viewers, I, I will say that the first thing, the worst, the worst thing that happens in medicine is bad outcomes for people that we are unable to, despite our best efforts, really make an impact and people suffer and t- at times die despite our best efforts. And that's horrible. It's terrible. That's the worst. And, and that, Thanks, that, that's part of the job. And it's very, it doesn't get easier. Um, it, it, in fact, I think it gets harder. I think it gets harder when you're young and you don't really understand the impact that this has on families. And it's just kind of your job and you're tired and you're running around the hospital. And, you know, but, but as you go further along in practice and you have these longer relationships and you understand the impact of, you know, people suffering and, um, and of course, dying, it, that's the worst. And that gets worse, unfortunately. Um, the most uncomfortable situation actually was my, my first day on the job when I was out of residency. I was at a hospital in Southern California and I had met this patient and, um, I'll just say they were a very large person and, um, we were having this pretty intense conversation and it was very stressful. 
and uh, they ended up falling against the door in the exam room and and and, and passing out. And the do- the exam rooms opened inward, and this person was probably four to five hundred pounds. I mean, they were enormous, and so I was locked in this exam room with this really big person who was unconscious on the floor. And I knew that they, you know, and, and so essentially, you, you know, what that happens when people get vasovagal is you need to lift their legs up and, you know, have their, you know, try and get blood flow to their head. But every time they sit up, if they're really dehydrated or they're ill, you know, every time you sit them up, they're going to pass out again. So, you know, typically those people need to remain supine, like on their back with their legs elevated and then start getting some IV fluids. But I'm in this room by myself. So I get on the phone and I'm like, listen, I, I got a situation here. So they called 911. Really? The nurse is outside. And oh so my goodness. the fire department and the paramedics show up and the hospital emergency room shows up and they, they actually end up having to take the door off from the outside. And wow. This, yeah. And so this is like, like something about first. Mary when, when, Everybody came for something about Mary and they're all outside the window. And the Exactly. And- so this is like my first day on the job. And so, of course, like everybody wants to hear about this and I'm like totally embarrassed. And But it was remarkable. I was like, I was literally thinking to myself, like, I cannot believe it might even have been my first day. If not, it was my first week. And I was like, I just cannot believe that I'm going to, this is happening to me. And, you know, the, the person fortunately was totally fine, but it was a great story for everybody, all like probably 500 employees at this big hospital of what had happened. Yeah. You must've just been, I mean, because that why you decided to, to, to bulk up because I imagine <laughs> first day on the first day on the job, Dr. Todd was probably like still six, five, but maybe like, well, like one seventy. you were probably just like a rail. You're trying yeah. to see if you could slip underneath the door or something. Yeah, I had to get a pump. <laughs> exactly. Um, another good story. This is, I don't know why I'm just sharing personal stories today. But um, first day on the job, my cousin, he was uh, went to a new new job one time. And he parked in the parking lot. And he's, you know, just wanted to go to work. And when he parked, his car under the hood burst into flames. And people noticed. And they came out and they called the fire department. Fire department came hosed down the front of the car and there was like a nest of squirrels in there that caught on fire. Oh, and so that was his introduction to this new company, right? He shows up and everybody <laughs> comes up, fire truck comes, everybody comes up. And that's how he met people was in the parking lot roasting squirrels, basically. <laughs> um, well, I, I will say that, you know, at doctors, um, I used to work in a lot of urgent care um, where people come in and, and, you know, they just come in with whatever is going on and they'll tell you about it and you, you know, you try and help them out. But it's, you know, you might see five people an hour. It's really busy. Mm-hmm. And there people just come in, you know, with questions that they're stressed about. And the variety of questions that you get asked was, would just be every, it would be everything it would be like kind of like this podcast, like psychology, gynecology endocrinology, any, anything you could imagine. And you just have to be prepared for these questions. It could be, you know, sutures and lacerations and abscesses. But I used to love to work urgent care. And I used to always come home and just be like, people are fascinating. Not in a a, a judgmental way. It was just truly fascinating. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, this is fascinating to me. What does, like I said, why you're probably so good at this. This is fascinating to me. And you know, I don't like to dole out the compliments to you. But this is fascinating that that you can honestly that you can get up here and there's questions from all across the board. 
I mean, let's let's look at this right now. We did this is your rec. Well, I'll combine this with your with your recs, right? Sure. You did constipation for a group yeah. of friends, right? <laughs> Passing gas during sex. Thanks for the audio call. Keep that up. Send them in, please. Uh, Epsom salts, STDs, and cold sores. And then you told a personal story about your most uncomfortable and uh, and worst situations. And it was, you know, there was it was it was heartfelt too. You 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 kind of so. I find it fascinating that you can come in here and you could field all these things. You're like a utility player in baseball. Yes. Yes. A little bit of everything. Well, that's why I like the type of doctor I am because you answer so many different types of questions. My sister was actually listening to the podcast and she's like, you know so much stuff. And uh, I, I I sometimes am surprised that I do know the answers to this stuff. But the, but we have an expression that common things happen commonly. And so, you know, there's variations of common things. When you can impress a sibling, that means you're doing something right. I have, uh, I don't know if my sister's heard that, that uh, Dr. Todd's sister called and complimented him on the podcast. So just want to throw <laughs> it was that a out test. there. Oh, same, whatever. <laughs> um, but I do want to say, yeah, don't call me. Just send me a text. Um, I do want to say we do appreciate you, Dr. Todd. And uh, we appreciate Los Angeles Magazine for giving us the platform to do this. And we appreciate you guys for listening and also for sending in the questions. You know, feel free. You can email them in the information's after this. But also, send in, you know, it was anonymous. Send, feel free to send in audio, video, whatever you want. Obviously, video would not be anonymous. But also, <laughs> uh, thank you for listening. Please subscribe. And I just want to clarify, a lot of people sometimes don't know subscribe means there's no payment. This is just means that it will alert you. It'll let us know that you're a fan of the show, and it'll alert you when new episodes come out and stuff like that. So uh, feel free to subscribe. Keep listening. Comment, like, whatever you, whatever you want. Um, but we just appreciate you. So thanks very much. Thank you, Dimitri. Thank you for listening to the Is This Odd Dr. Todd program from Los Angeles Magazine Studios. If you have any medical questions and want to hear from Dr. Todd, be sure to email podcasts at lamag.com.